turn with me into your, your scripture reading this morning. We're going to read the scriptures, James 3 through 5. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able, to also, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever they will, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and rep, uh, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you, have a bitter, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What quarrels and what causes fights, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you devil-minded. Be... Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go, um, to, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over you, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faithful will save, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with, nature like, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders, wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the wandering will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church, and um, just want to th- say, thank goodness it's basketball season now, that the bowl season is over. It still stings that I went all the way to Miami to lose as humiliatingly as Clemson did, but there's always next year. Um, just kidding. So thank you, um, those who prayed, you know, all that for us, to get, for me to get down there safely. I had a good time, um, all things considering. Thank you for praying for me. Um, I'm feeling much better this week um, than last week. Uh, today, we begin a new sermon series, which I've entitled God Blank America, which I, you know, as in fill in the blank, Right? This being an election year, stuff has gotten crazy. It is a time when many of us think about what it means to live in this country, its declarations and its ideals. Is the way we live in these ideals a a God-blessing America or God-cursing America? And on a side note, how should the church live out and in these so-called American values. I don't know about you, but I am tired of politicians and the talking heads on television filling in the blanks for us. Could it be possible that God could fill it in for himself as we look at his word Today we'll explore freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. The First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or bridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Though I minored in history, I am by far no constitutional lawyer or constitutional expert or anything like that. So after I finish the sermon, you smart people can get together and figure it all out. I'm a preacher and pastor tries his best to keep his eyes on the cultural pulse of things and, and by God's help seeks, to, seeks the word of God to give us a proper view and way of living. With that said, when I hear this amendment used in its simplest way, it has this sort of ring to it. I am free 
to say and express and write and expose whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, and no government establishment or power can stop me. I can say it loud, I can spit it, I can splay it, I can spray it, list it, shorthand it, dance it, paint it, act it, and comment over the airways and the digital underground, make you face it in a book or blast it on YouTube, because it is my right as an American to open my mouth and open your ears and eyes and share and spark revolution and and, and verbal and religious and non-religious and conscious and unconscious war and warning and warrant where needed, that no power can tell me what to say or not say. I am free to speak about me and my and our and yours and especially theirs. And we all connect with that in a deep place. Because truly there can't be anything more frustrating or dehumanizing for an individual or for a group of people to not be heard, to be marginalized, to be silenced by some greater or equal power. There is no greater injustice than being shut up to bring truth and honor and love and beauty. It is human to declare, here I am. It is right human practice to proclaim truth. It is godly and Christian and good to speak for the pain and injustice of others and against evil. Again, say it loud, do it loud. But before we declare, God bless this America for our right to speak. Let's see what the Bible says about our words and freedom. And y'all who are familiar with the Bible and this gospel in the Bible, of the gospel in this Bible, know that God is going to twist this thing before we get it straight, right? The Bible is always backwards. So here we go. The Bible here is teaching that even with freedom of speech, you and I are not really free to speak. Told you. That's the Bible and God and all that stuff for you. The gospel, always backwards. Always backwards to make us go forward, right? Why are we not really true to speak? Because according to the gospel here, uh, James writes, we are slaves to our words and slaves to our passions. That we are actually owned and run by our very words and our very passions. Look, I don't have much say. Much, I don't have to say much on this point here. James makes it pretty clear in verses one through eleven how we are slaves to our tongues. He says in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. And he talks about how we control big things with, from, from the front, like, like our mouths. And, and it says here in ver, at the end of verse 5, I mean, verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great! A forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. The tongue. He is saying, I'm talking broad here, all that American revolution stuff, but even in our individual relationships, even in our marriage relationships, our friendships. He is saying with our conversations, 
in talking about other people and to other people determined to get our point across how we feel and our desire to keep it real in order to, to represent and, and get someone else on your side to, to try to understand you and your issue or to get support for your agenda to express yourself and your American liberties that we can set, the, set fire to a house of people both guilty and innocent and you and they cannot and will not get out unharmed. When we speak and put it out there, when we express and get it, or us, or our point out there, like a small flame on a windy day, it has the potential to abuse and confuse and get dissected and taken out of context and even used against you and others. You've heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. Baloney. Whatever. All physical fights start with something someone said before they do it. In my school growing up, there's going to be a fight. If there's two people are drawn back and forth real close together, when someone drops your mama. It's amazing how that fire spreads, right? I mean, everybody's gathered circle, waiting for that fight. You want that fight to happen. Girls start taking their earrings off, shoes, they're ready to go. And somebody's like, your mama. Woo! And, and, the, and it's amazing how it spreads because even though they aren't saying anything, here goes the crowd. Woo! I know they didn't talk about your mama. Woo! I wouldn't take that. And that's when the fight starts. It is why bullying rules in school have been expanded from just getting a wedgie or a fat lip or forced to meet someone after school uh, textual and online bullying, one misspoken mean thing, has led to suicide and people rolling him at daddy's shotgun to take care of the beautiful, popular, too much to say people at the local middle or high school. A fire is the tongue, the words. Think about the mess started over west side, east side, right? A sign, a tattoo, a Facebook with no face to it. Just words, a blog, a string in a chat, a text, an email. An uncontrollable evil fire, James is saying. Freedom of speech. I remember our own church during election time. Our mother church and us. A couple comments about Obama can't really be a Christian and how can you really be a Christian and vote for him? And that church, the liberal church, and this church is a conservative, stuck-up church. Man, I got in it, too. I was happy to set some of those folks straight, those folks. We had two churches against each other. Then it got into the leadership. Well, leadership, no, 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 pastors having to get together and talk and cool things out. Mother and daughter church. Same denomination, loving the same Jesus, really happened on Facebook. It was crazy. And I'm not even sure it's been completely fixed. Here comes another election year. Oh, my Lord, here it goes. Y'all, please be careful. Because, you know, you start talking, the fire goes all the way up to the top, and then we got the, the elders got to deal with it. We got to sit down with the other. We got to work it out. And like the uncontrollable evil, I got it too. So when I get in a meeting with them, it, oh, y'all don't want me in there. And we must ask, who is in control of such things happening? 
Who's really in control of their tongues? And on top of that, who can truly control their mouths? And and what happens after it is out there? Who can hold back when they feel angry or hurt or pained or mistreated? This is what was going on when James wrote this book. You know, so many times we read this Bible and we take it out of its cultural context. Basically, James wrote this book to a group of Christians. They were poor Jews who were poor and oppressed people who wanted to speak against the power of the rich or an, an oppressive rule, Roman rule, and they were being led by these teachers. They were fiery preachers, MCs of their day, politicians and community leaders of the day, and the place was dry, dry with passion and desperation. And when they dropped knowledge, like they flamed a murderous Allah, you know, flamed a, a fiery Allah 1965-1992 riot in Elliot, people burning their own lives and hearts down. That's why James says in verse 1, not many of you should be teachers. Not many of you should consider yourselves okay to go out there to spark revolution, to say something, to get in front of a group of people and talk. Because one little word can do a city in. How did Lauren Hill put it? And how many mics? Too many MCs, not enough mics. Exit your show like I exit the turnpike. That's what James would have written. Exit your show, please. Not enough mics. You don't need one. Which brings me to the second part of what James is saying about not being free to speak. Because behind our words and our expressions are a passion. Something that drives our tongues and words to flapping. Something that enslaves our tongues, that enslaves us to do and say things that are mean, evil, destructive, and just plain stupid. Look at what James says here in verse 13 in chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And then on the chapter 4, look at verse 3. Let me see if I got the right thing. Let's, just, let's start verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Here's what is behind our words and our speeches and our keyboards, what we believe in what we are seeking to protect and promote. It is our passions, as James says, and when we don't get our way, we let all kinds of stuff out of our mouths and, we, out, of our mouths and out of our keyboards. And, and, and when it says in verse 14, bitter jealousy, the word for jealousy is zeal, that we are hyped about something important to us and then combine that with what James calls out as selfish ambition and you've got a real mess 
coming out of your mouth and out of your keystrokes. Selfish ambitions is not just you. It could be a group, a, a class of people, people joined together around one issue and one person, a political party, a special interest group, friends trying to support friends over something. And they and you are focused and on fire over one thing and over one or two issues. And when that happens, you get desperate. And it makes you want to fight with verbal intensity that is hot and evil as hell, James is saying. When I was a little boy, we would take a magnifying glass. A good thing to see things up close. Man, it's amazing when I found out what a magnifying glass could do. We'd be looking at grass real close, right? Or leaf. Just keeping it in one magnified spot. Then it got worse. Let's catch a lizard. Nail it by his tail on the top of a post. Hey, guys, look at this. Let me try. We'd cut the tail off. Lizard would be all right. And that kind of fervor and fire, focused, selfish, jealous, and covetous passion comes because we believe that we are alone. That we are not heard. That we will be forgotten or crushed if we don't deal with it. That there is no voice for me or us. That there is no power greater than me in my mouth. And I got to get out that there is no right greater than our right. That there can't be any issue or problem or dilemma outside of this one or these two or these three or these four issues. That there are no other voices or, or microphones outside of our own. We, when we don't get what we want or we get what we don't want, it makes us poisonous and venomous and, as James is saying, unwise and stupid and idiotic and, and foolish and unthoughtful with what we say and express because all we can think about is being right and not being left behind or overlooked or crushed or abused of keeping our humanity in some way. So some of us can only think about our bottom line, that this will take away our ability to retire and live life the way we want or let those people who are doing wrong continue to live life the way they want. As James says, you get selfish and jealous for your thing and your voice. Verse 15 says, the stuff that comes out of that is demonic, hellish. Verse 14 says, verse 15 says, falls to the truth. Do you know what falls to the truth means? Hypocritical. Here's the weird twist. You can be so hyped on something to get it out in your speech, in your rhetoric, in your expression, in your music, in your dance, whatever it is you want to let out there. You can get so hyped on that that you will 
actually double talk and get caught double talking because you and us and we are such a slave to our passions that we have lost sight of the main and central truth that we even believe in. That we will lie about what we know is true. You know, because of the one thing, the thing in the first place, we'll lie about the other issues in second, third, and fourth place just to get across even though we know it's true. That's why Christians will not talk very Christian about our Christian convictions. Exactly how people like us Christians who believe in the gospel with us mercy and love and ability to to, to embrace all people of Jesus can say all sorts of evil things against gay people. It is how that becomes the message of the church. The church's agenda Let's get rid of all the gay people. Right? That's the church's agenda. There's a lot of pages in this book. Number one. Number two, you, you got to twist it. You're so focused, you're stupid. You're so good at your one thing, you're dumb about everything else. It's how a message of hope for unborn children being destroyed in the womb becomes about a bombing in a horror picture show of aborted baby parts. Oh, we got our freedom of speech, so we're going to do that. What a lie. What a lie for the truth. It doesn't make sense. It's hypocritical. It's how we can say to a president who publicly says that he's a Christian and that he believes that Jesus died to take his sins away, that he has a war against Christianity. He must be lying. A lie. A lie against the truth so we can be right. And I'm not saying those people, I do it all the time. You know, hopefully not up here. Ask my wife in some of the arguments we get. You get twisted when you get passionate. Remember you said this? No, I don't remember that. I'm right right now on this. We ain't going to that other thing. But the other thing makes your fifth point void. No, it doesn't because we're not going there. I recently watched a document properly entitled Bastards of the Party, which chronicled the rise of the gangs, the Bloods and the Crips. And long story short, the Bloods and the Crips evolved out of the Black Panther Party, which organized around a rhetoric of self-protection, self-sustaining, and loving and caring for communities ignored and mistreated, the communities that were ignored and mistreated by prejudiced police and civic authorities. So how did it go so wrong? Got to see the documentary. But I can tell you from the scripture, because things got too proprietary, too our way, and our neighborhood focused, and the Panthers lessened in power by the underhanded work of Hoover and the FBI. But people were so forced and coerced out of fear that no one else would care for them and their people to join up with neighborhood protection groups a la Crips. And then the Bloods come in line with their care or, or, you know, come in line with their care or be considered against them. It created factions and turf and became violent and then driven by drugs and money and power. That's why James says in verse 16, all sorts of vile things come out of people desperate to be heard and protected 
and seen and yet have no greater power outside of themselves. When we become selfish and bitterly zealous for, their, for our thing without thinking about others, without looking and considering the whole picture, without knowing the future past, and well, future and past well enough that not realizing how, he, how evil human beings can be and how broken this world can be, how bad our words can affect this world and expressions can get satanic and deadly, guess what's going to happen? All sorts of vile stuff. Out of a couple words, out of one speech, out of one line of rhetoric, wars, death, Murder, demonic, satanic stuff have happening all over the place, working in people's hearts and minds and institutions. Yes, there's a conspiracy theory, but it's clear where it came from. Some of our mouths out of some of our evil passions. You don't know what will happen. You don't. What your statements or words or gossip will mean in all and every context. Raise your hand if you can boast that. I know my opinion is going, is going to have no effect on history now or wherever. If I drop this right now on the internet or put this in a book, man, it ain't going to hurt nothing. You don't know that. That's why the scripture says don't boast about tomorrow. You don't have the power. You don't know. You don't know nothing except the words that come out your mouth right then. And then you don't even know where that comes from because your heart is out of control. Now, James says we can counter these things from enslaving and hurting the freedoms that we are called to speak and address and express from a wisdom, he says, that comes from above, a wisdom that is full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. Now, I try like many of you. When I'm in an argument, or on a mission to see the other side, to be diplomatic and impartial. But nine times, 9.9991 times out of 10, it doesn't happen. I'm typically right. Yeah, I've been playing the words with friends game. I know what a word is. Scrabble thing. Miriam Webster, he, he, he don't know nothing. Miriam or Webster, they don't know. I always get defensive and get offensive. In fact, James is saying to be perfect in our speech, we need to see it all, have the confidence to tell someone else what they should think and see and believe and have the real freedom to express that we need to be able to consider the many ways our statement and stand will affect everyone. I have to take responsibility for the world, but what I say and express, then I am free to speak before God to the world. He puts it this way in verse 13 of chapter 4. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is peaceable, gentle. Listen to this, open to reason, full of mercy. That means you can lose a little bit. Oh, yeah, you can actually give a point or two. Yeah, that person you don't like that you're talking about, they, you can say, oh, they write about me in that way. Uh-huh. No, don't happen. And impartial and sincere. 
In other words, our words lack perspective necessary to be sure that we are completely right. You and I are just human. You don't know what your statements mean. But James' own letter is proof that God is not asking us to not speak or not express or not take advantage of the freedom to use our words. Here is the good news. We can and are actually free to speak by the Lord. To express within the freedoms afforded to us by his work in our country and in our individual communities and forums, free to speak first by hearing God's words to us. James says this again in verse 17. He says, the wisdom from above is another way of saying from God. It produces the things we talked about. By the very words of God spoken and written and communicated and preached and sung to us, like the tongue's unruly power talked about in chapter 3, God's word is this unruly good fire that as it comes into our hearts and lives, it changes things and perspectives that they cannot about themselves and, and about how we talk and think and feel about ourselves. It gives us the wisdom necessary to change. And James says this in verse 8 in chapter 4 in response to this, draw near to God. Humble yourself. Say, Lord, my tongue is a mess. My passions are a mess. I'm angry. I want to let the world know. I want to write it. I want to say it. But I can't be sure I'm right. Help me. Change my heart first. In other words, don't think first and speak second. But let God, the God who knows what is good for you, Speak to you first, and then maybe after doing that over and over, speak. And then after you speak, go back to him in his word of humility, realizing that even when you spoke, after you asked him for help, your heart needed his grace to fix what you inadvertently or purposely in your zeal might have destroyed, and God's word as you submit to it will help you. This is a process. There's no magic answer outside of, hey, Lord, cleanse me. Sanctify me. Let me hear the word that says, you don't know what you're talking about all the time. Let me hear the word that I need your grace because I'm a sinner and I want my own way and I'm willing to destroy the world to get it. Let me hear that. And then, Lord, let me hear from your word that you sent Jesus to fix and change me in this hope. Then after you've done that, you speak and mess up, come back again. Because it's going to happen. I don't know anybody who don't like gossip. It makes you feel good. Man, it makes you feel good when you're right. Sometimes when I'm right, I go deeper. Right? Let me tell you what's going on. Da -da -da. You're right. Well, let me tell you what else. You're right about that. Oh, really? Well, let me tell you this. gospel is letting you and me know that stuff is bad, that yes, you have been overlooked, that there are injustices in the world, and no, there is no way you and I can do everything about it, but that God is a saving God. That you and I are not alone, and it is not ultimately completely up to us or solely our responsibility with the passion of our communication to make our lives better, and this world better, and this world righteous and just, and ourselves be recognized and justified, or our pressing issues alleviated. It is not ultimately in the power of our words that change comes, though our words are powerful. It is in a promise God 
to love us and make things right. And unlike us, y'all, he can determine what happens by his words. And he does know what will and will not happen in history. And he cares about the issues and injustices you and me go through more than you do. You think you have a passion for injustice? I mean, God came in the flesh and died on the cross for it. You can't be more, compa- more passionate about wrongs and rights and injustices and getting things right more than the Lord himself. And yet you can't be as right as the Lord in his passions like the Lord himself. Here's the interesting thing. Quickly, at verse chapter 5. We read this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins of one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has, has great power as it is working. Now get this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore fruit. Stokely Carmichael was a Trinidadian American black activist leader and speaker active in the 1960s American Civil Rights Movement. He was primarily remembered as a black nationalist who popularized the concept and term black power. At 19 years old, Carmichael became the youngest civil rights detainee in the summer of 1961. He wrote that he spent 53 years at Parcham farm in a six-by-nine cell, twice a week to shower, no books, nothing to do. They would isolate them in maximum security. Carmichael said the sheriff acted like he was scared of black folks, and he came up with some beautiful things. One night, he opened up all the windows, put on 10 big fans and an air conditioner, and dropped the temperature to 38 degrees, and all they had on was t-shirts and shorts. While being hurt one time, Carmichael began singing to the guards. I'm going to tell God how you treat me. To which the rest of the prisoners joined in. For what we express and speak to each other and how we speak as groups to each other, we must bring our passion and prayer and speech before the Lord. He's not hurt with your rhetoric. He's not confused about your pain. He's not put off by the talking heads or the politics. If you're sick, if you're hurt, if you're oppressed, don't you realize you have uncensored audience with the Lord of the universe? And you are free to speak to him. And we need to practice it more. I'm not talking about, okay, we got to go do this special. Sometimes I'm in, my, I'm in my car, and I'm headed to a meeting, maybe a Presbyterian meeting, where I know I'm going to have some conflict with somebody. He you know what I do? I say that speech to God with all the words I can't say in that meeting. Yeah, Lord, let me tell you how I feel. This person acting like this, I'm going to bust them in their eye. You know, I'm going to say all kind of stuff. We need 
you doing, Lord? That's how I feel. This person is this, and they're that, and they're this, Lord. And it makes me feel this way. And that's what I really want to say now. I'm not going to say that when I get up in there. But, Lord, you got to hear me. And they know what it says, like confessing our sins to each other. Sin is not only what you've committed, it's things people have done against you. So sometimes I'm like, hey, Pastor Jordan, let me tell you how I'm feeling. This person did this and that. And you know what happens when you confess your sins to each other and people who know the Lord and your friends and family who, who, who know the word of God too and they're not as passionate about it? They let take you down two notches. I hate that. Let me tell you what I feel, man. It's power to the people, brother. Let me tell you, man, we got, we got, a, we got a revolution. We got to take it over. Hey, you know what? Um, Let's, um, did you get your blog done for this week? Because Jessica's been asking for that. But I want the revolution, man. And you know what's interesting is, is sometimes taking that passion down to two notches is the thing that leads you, hey, Lord, something ain't right. I ain't all here. My passion's out of control. We need to confess our sins to each other. Go to somebody else. They can take it down. Now, don't give it the guy who, you know, or the girl who with you. Oh, yeah. Amen, brother. Don't go with that person. You'll be trying to start a church soon. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let somebody know. You know, talk to your spouse. They ain't in presbytery. Spouse, a co-worker. No, talk to a brother or sister, right? Let me tell you, man, I've been dealing with this thing, and this person would bother me. And this person, you know what? You think that person been bothering you? All my life, you've been bothering me. So maybe they right. Oh, what are we going to do? Who's going to make the fix, figure out this mess? And that kind of stuff makes you go back to God. Lord, I thought I was right, but I confess my sins to this other person. And hey, sometimes you got to come to the elders. Elders, let me tell you what's going on. This church, and this is happening, and they ain't worshiping, and this book, and this Bible study, and this thing, and the way you preach, and the way this. Let's take it down to notches. I ain't seen you at one Sunday school or Bible study. But you got so much mouth. We say in Charleston, mouth. You got so much mouth. Humble yourself. Draw near to God. To draw near to you. Here's the point. Finally. I preach long today. But I had to do an intro to the thing. I'm not feeling insecure or anything. Good Lord, it's late. Okay, here we go. Y'all got to beat the Baptists to the buffet line, to the cafeteria. You're not going to beat the Baptists. They go from 11 to, to, to 11.59. You're not going to beat them. The white Baptists, that is. Okay, I'm going to stop right there because the mouth. I got a lot of thoughts. Okay, here's the point. As we continue in this series, let me let you know, America cannot free us to speak. It cannot follow through and protect and help us in the freedoms it's even saying it's giving. It's written a bad check that I cannot cash. And we're paying a terrible debt and price for being big and bigoted talkers. But the gospel freedom of speech has come through for us. 
the Lord Jesus is the living wisdom of God from above, James talks about in verse 17. As the one who was in his words and passion, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Do you know why you're here? Because the Lord's words. For those of you who are really against some of his ideas, for peaceable, gentle, impartial, and sincere to you, the gospel. He frees us to not only speak with great power to and out of the injustice world of this world, but to join him in his mission in the freedom of speech. To tell God how this world treats us. And I would add how we should treat each other. So speak! Shout it out! Stand up for something in and to this world. Because when the gospel begins to work in your heart, you will find yourself talking and speaking in the strangest stages, in the most amazing places, bringing incredible change that you yourself couldn't envision because it's not about you now. It's about the change that only God can bring. To hear God's words spoken to you and to speak words, your words, to God this work. Freedom. 